two men, two directions, two distinctly different destinies. That's what we'll see in our study today on Through the Bible. I'm your host, Steve Schwetz, welcoming you aboard the Bible bus as we set off for the Old Testament book of Psalms. Now, to get started in this special section of God's Word, here are a few opening thoughts from our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Well, you are hearing music today aboard the Bible bus, and I can assure you I'm not singing. If I was singing, you would, of course, turn me off. You might do that anyway. Great many folks say they do not like my voice, or my accent, rather. And we trust that you will stay with us because we're coming to the marvelous book of Psalms, and today we'll begin with Psalm 1. If you have your Bible, you'll want to turn there, and I trust now that you do have our notes and outlines, because this is, to my judgment, one of the great books in the Word of God. Here is the book that I suppose more people turn to in time of trouble, in time of anxiety, actually in the time of death, when the death angel knocks at your door. This is the book that when I'm in the hospital, and I've spent too much time in the hospital, about five or six major operations in the past And I find when I get in the hospital, the only book I want to read is the book of Psalms. And I find great comfort, great help in the book of Psalms. To get out the Word of God today, friends, is very important. And the only thing that ever brought a song to the heart of mankind is the Word of God. The reason today that I know that all this rock music that we're having is not of God is because it's in a low note. It sounds like it came out of the jungle. It sounds like it came from unsaved, pagan, heathen minds. And that, by the way, is where it came from. It's the Word of God that has made sopranos and tenors and bassos. It's the Word of God that has done that. And it's this very marvelous Psalm 1. And you're going to see more pictures of the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Psalms that you'll see anywhere else. And these are pictures that God painted of him with words, beautiful words. And I trust that it will be a special blessing to the hearts of many of you today. A free copy of the notes and outlines that Dr. McGee just mentioned is available to you in a couple of different ways. First, you can download them by individual book by going to ttb.org forward slash notes. Or really, a better option is to download our free digital book that compiles the notes and outlines for all 66 books in one volume. We call it Briefing the Bible, and it's available at ttb.org and the Kindle storefront as well. Or call 1-800-65-BIBLE to receive an abridged paperback copy by mail. Now, for those who prefer to reach us by mail, you'll find us at Box 7100, Pasadena, California, 91109. In Canada, Box 25325, London, Ontario, N6C, 6B1. Let's pray together now. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word and the pictures that it gives us of your son, Jesus. We pray that we see him clearly today and every day as we study the Psalms. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Now let's open to Psalm 1 on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. We mentioned last time that certain Psalms are definitely messianic. That means they are quoted in the New Testament as referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Now, I personally believe that every psalm refers to him. Now, Psalm 1 talks about the blessed man. I have called, for instance, the tabernacle, God's portrait of Christ. And it's in color, by the way. Very marvelous picture. Now, here you have another picture. This is, I would say, a snapshot that the Lord has given to us of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the blessed man. Who is the blessed man? The happy man, if you please. We sometimes think of the Lord as being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And for some strange reason, all the pictures that have been painted of him reveal him as a very sad-looking individual. That actually was not true. Well, somebody says, but Isaiah said he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Well, I grant that. But why don't you read on in Isaiah and you'll find out that he didn't have any sorrows and griefs of his own. He has borne our sorrows and he's carried our grief. It was mine that he was carrying, not his own. He was the happy Christ. And this is a picture of him. Now, in verse 1, we have really the practice of the blessed man. Then we come down a little bit farther and we'll see the power of the blessed man, and then finally the permanency of the blessed man. Now, in the first two verses, you have the practice of the blessed man. And here you have first, in verse 1, the negative side. This is what the blessed man or the happy man does not do. Blessed is the man, happy is the man, who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Now you have here three positions, three postures. He walks first, and then he stands, and then he sits. And then you have the three conditions. And this is the man that's not the happy man. Three conditions are states. He gets with the ungodly first, then he gets with sinners, and then he gets with the scorners. And then you have three admissions. That is, three associations. First, it's the counsel of the ungodly. The blessed man or the happy man will not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. Nor will he stand in the way of sinners. Nor will he sit in the seat of the scornful. Counsel, way, and seat. Now, there's definitely regression here, deterioration and degeneration. Now, notice he does not walk, we're told here, in the counsel of the ungodly. Now, counsel means advice. He doesn't listen to them. Have you ever noticed that even the Lord Jesus never referred to his own reason or his own mind as the basis for a decision? He always put it on the basis of when he made a decision. That it was the will of God. He never said to his disciples on an occasion, now, fellas, we're going to take a trip up into Galilee again and I've been thinking this over. This is the best thing to do, according to my viewpoint. And after all, I'm smarter than you fellows. That's not the way that he approached it. He always say, I'm going to Jerusalem. Why? Because I'm going to do the will of my father. Or I'm going into this area, and I'm going to do this thing because it's the will of my father. And therefore, it's one thing to listen to counsel. And I think good counsel is fine but certainly not the counsel of the ungodly. And we are told that we're to walk by faith. 
And walking by faith is not listening to the counsel of the ungodly. And who are the ungodly? Well, actually, the ungodly are those who just leave God out. There's no fear of God before their eyes. The ungodly is the man today that lives as if God does not exist. Around us, there are multitudes of people just like that. They're living as if God does not exist. They get up in the morning. They never turn to God in prayer. They never thank Him for the food of the day or for life and for health. They just keep moving right along, living it up. And they are ungodly. They just leave God out. Now, the sinner, he's the one that takes over because the ungodly gets the man to stand. And we find him standing in the way of sinners. And who's the sinner that takes over? Well, sin here, it actually means to miss the mark. They don't quite live as they should live. They are the ones that the Scripture speaks of when it says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And again, the Scripture says, All the ways of man are clean in his own eyes. The sinner actually may think he's all right, but he's a sinner. And the Scripture says to him, Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. This is the sinner. All we like sheep have gone astray. We turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, the Lord Jesus, all of the weight of our guilt. Sinners. That's our picture. Now, who are the scornful here? Well, this is atheism. They not only deny God, but they exhibit an antagonism and hatred of it. You know, to deny God is actually the worst form of immorality. And believe me, God has something to say about the scorner. In Proverbs 3.34, he says, Surely he scorneth the scorners. Now notice verse 2 here. We have the positive side now. Before, this is what the happy man did not do. Now here is what the happy man does. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. The positive side. You remember the Lord Jesus told about a man that was possessed with demons, and the demons went out of the man, and the man was all swept, cleaned, and garnished. That is, he got a good polished job, and he thought everything was all right. But it wasn't, because... He's still owned by the demon. Finally, the demon wandered around, couldn't find any place to go, but met up with some other demons, and he came back, brought his friends with him. We're told the last estate of the man was worse than the first. A great many people today think if they just sort of clean up a little, that's all that is necessary. May I say to you, his delight is in the law of the Lord. That means joy. It's not a burden. Actually, the tear, the sigh, the groaning that's in this world, the heartache and the heartbreak and the broken homes are all a result of God's broken law. And this is the love of God. John says in 1 John 5, 3, this is the love of God that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not grievous. His commandments for believers are not only the Ten Commandments. The idea today that when you're saved by grace. It means you can be lawless and live as you please and do as you please. And that's just not the picture that we have given to us in the Word of God. In fact, the matter is you can't be lawless for the very simple reason that 
Brethren, we've been called unto liberty. Paul says, only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. You see, liberty is not license by any means. And somebody said to me, you do not keep the Ten Commandments to be saved. That's right. And the fellow says, then that means you can break them. It doesn't mean you can break them. It means, my friend, that you can't measure up to God's law. You have to have perfection, and you and I do not have it. And we have to come to God by faith. Now we're called to live on a higher plane than the law is. We're to have in our lives the fruits of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long-suffering. These are the things. So there is the discipline and the guidance of grace. And that's a very important thing, by the way. So that his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law, we're told, he meditates. Now, what does it mean to meditate? Actually, it's a picture of a cow chewing a cud. Thomas A. Kempis put it like this. He says, I have no rest but in a nook with a book. And the book is the Word of God. It means to meditate upon it. Chew the cud. Picture of a cow chewing a cud. Bartholomew Ashwood back in 1688 said, Meditation chews the cud. Old cow goes out on the field of a morning, you know, and eats the tender grass with the dew in it. My, it's quite delicious. It's a good breakfast food. And so she comes and lies down under the tree. It's hot in the daytime. And I'm told a cow has about, what, three stomachs? So what she does is take that nice breakfast food that she had, the tender grass that had the dew on it, and she brings that back up and chews it again and moves it over to another tummy. Then she's having lunch, you see. And it means to read the Word of God and then meditate upon it. You remember James says that some people look at the Word of God like a mirror, and then they leave and they forget what manner of man they are. Meditate upon the Word of God. Let the Word of God have its way with you. Now, in his law doth he meditate day and night. My friend, God hasn't any plan or program for you to grow and develop as a believer apart from the Word of God. Now, you can become as busy as a termite in your church or in church activity, and probably with about the same effect of a termite. You'd be just as busy, and you'll never grow. You don't grow by activity. You grow, my friend, by meditating upon the Word of God. Only as you and I masticate the Word of God, we chew it, if you please. It's a nice figure of speech, I think. Now, this is the practice of the happy man. Now, notice the power of it. Where does he get his power? Well, we're told here he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And rivers here, that's the superlative. In the Hebrew, it's hyperbole, actually, for abundance. He's planted by plenty of water. And he's a tree, if you'll notice. And he's a planted tree. God's trees are actually not wild-grown trees, by any means. They are planted trees. And that means, I think, to be born again. Over in Isaiah 61.3, it says, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. 
God, you see, doesn't use wild-grown trees. They're not wild-grown. They've been born again. They've been taken up and set out in God's garden, if you please, and set out by the river of water. Now, what is the river of water, by the way? Well, that's the Word of God. Somebody says, are you sure about that? Oh, I know it, because if you turn right back over in Isaiah to the 55th chapter and verse 10, he says, For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven returneth not thither, but watereth the earth and maketh it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please. It shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And God wants his word to just come down like rain. I think radio is a fine way to, you know, just scatters it out everywhere. And that's what we are to do. And the word of God is to be gotten out. And it's water. And it'll produce, it'll cause trees to grow. And that's where God's trees are planted. It provides drink and sustenance and also cleansing. You see, there's washing of water by the word. And the psalmist says over in Psalm 104, verse 16, he says, the trees of the Lord are full of sap. Now, he doesn't say that God's trees are sap. He just says they're full of sap. And that sap's the word of God, the trees of Lebanon, which he's planted. And now he says something else about them. You see, the power is in the word of God. And we're told that they bring forth their fruit in its season. That is a very interesting thing, that God's trees, they don't bring fruit all the time. They bring forth fruit in their season. I hear today this statement made in this day of activity and nervous action that the primary business of a Christian is soul winning. I disagree with that. Word of God doesn't say that. In Second Corinthians, second chapter, verse 14, listen to this. Now, thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ to them that are saved and to them that are perished. Now, that's not all. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death. To the other, the savor of life unto life. Who's sufficient for these things? Well, I'm not, but I do know this. I'm called to give out the word of God. And it's the business of the Holy Spirit to bring men to Christ. My business is to give out the word of God. And we are experiencing on this program multitudes of people turning to Christ. I'm amazed at it, but we don't do it. The Spirit of God does that. We just give out the Word of God. And our business is to give out the Word of God. And when we do, He always causes us to triumph. Well, suppose nobody accepts Christ. Well, we are savor of life to them that are saved. We are savor of death unto those that perish. My responsibility is to give you the Word of God. Your responsibility is to do something about it. And my responsibility ends when I give it out. It's up to you from then on. I used to tell folk when I'd give the invitation, you live here today unsaved? Well, it's too bad because you couldn't go into God's presence say you hadn't heard the Word of God. Well, very frankly, I'm not responsible anymore. I've given out the Word of God, and I've really become your enemy because you couldn't tell God you hadn't heard the gospel. And we want it to be true also of this radio ministry. 
Now, will you notice that the important thing here is that the child of God bring forth his fruit in his season. Now, he not only does that, but his leaf also shall not wither. Now, he's to have out his witness all the time. God's trees are evergreens, outward testimony. A friend of mine said years ago he was in New York City in summertime, in August it was. He came to a famous church there, and my, it was a fine coliseum, I should say, mausoleum. And he says that up on top it had carved in letters there in the marble, this is the house of God, the very gate of heaven. And down beneath there was a temporary sign says closed during July and August. So the gate of heaven was closed there during July and August. Well, God's trees, the leaf shall not wither, but whatsoever he does, it'll prosper. Now, God promised material blessings to his people back in the Old Testament, but today he doesn't necessarily do that. John Trapp put it like this, outward prosperity, if it follows, close walking with God is sweet as the cipher when it follows a figure, adds to the number, though it be nothing by itself. Now, finally, you have the permanency of the blessed man. Notice the insecurity. The ungodly are not so. What? They're like the chaff which the wind driveth away. And then notice here two ways. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. Two men, two ways two destinies, and one's a dead-end street and leads to death. The other leads to life. God makes the difference, and he says what's right and wrong. We're living in a day that's not sure. Well, God is sure. God divided light from darkness, the waters above from the waters below. And what are we told? For the Lord knoweth the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. And perish simply means he's lost. What a word of finality, if you please. The expectation of the wicked shall perish, Proverbs 10, 28. He says, enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat, because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and Few there be that findeth, and the wide, broad way is like a funnel, but you come in at the big end, but it gets narrow and narrow and finally leads to death. But the narrow way, you come in by Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life, and it just keeps leading out. You come in the other end of the funnel, and it just gets broader and broader. And he came that we might have life, might have it more abundantly. What a picture of the happy man that's presented here in Psalm 1. This is important to begin with. And next time we see another important psalm, Psalm 2. Until then, may God richly bless you, my beloved. Two men, two ways, and two destinies. That was a great study, wasn't it? You know, you can find out more about the narrow gate that leads to life, the abundant and eternal life Dr. McGee talked about at ttb.org when you click on How Can I Know God? There you'll find several resources to listen to and read about what it means to have a relationship with God. Again, the address is ttb.org and click on the banner that says How Can I Know God? 
or call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE, and we'll put a few of those resources in the mail to you. And if you'd like to share today's important study or any of our studies in Psalms with a family member or friend, then you can visit us at ttb.org. There you can listen online or download our new Bible Companions for Psalms, which includes a synopsis of each study, as well as reflection questions, listening prompts to hear Dr. McGee's full teaching, and then links to God's Word. It's really a great resource. Another really good option is to gift them with Dr. McGee's entire five-year study on our Bible Bus flash drive. To find out more or place your order, just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE or visit the resources section at ttb.org. And while you visit ttb.org, don't forget to download your free copy of our ministry newsletter for August. This resource contains articles from Dr. McGee, tips for helping you get more out of our study in Psalms, and then mentions specific ways that you can pray for God's people around the world. Again, you can sign up to receive an email version of the newsletter each month or have one mailed to your home. Just sign up at ttb.org or reach us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Well, that's all for us today. Next time, we'll tour Psalm 2, which reveals to us what the world will look like when the Lord Jesus returns to establish his kingdom. I'm Steve Schwetz, and I'll be here holding open the doors of the Bible bus as you hop aboard. I got a seat saved, especially for you. Well, ride the Bible bus for five years and you'll be amazed at what God teaches you from his word about what it means to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a blessing that keeps on going. That's what we believe at Through the Bible.